Blog Talk Radio. time it is in your hemisphere that you are hearing the sound of my voice. I thank and praise God for another chance, another opportunity to join with you in the airwaves. Welcome to the It's Real Radio Talk Show. I am your host, Elder Coilette James, and I am just ecstatic um, on today. I really, really am. I think we'll have a, a very special show for you. I know it's a very special um, show for me and for my beautiful co-host, the gorgeous, wickedly funny and talented Miss Tanya Roberts. Hey, sweetie, how are you today? I am awesome if you say that three more times, okay? <laughs> and I'm going click, to click my heels and let it hope it transpires. Thank you. Beautiful. It has already transpired. You are absolutely stunning and beautiful inside and out. So it is just an incredible, just a, I, I, and, and no, no fluff, no, no, um, no fluff. Let me put it that way. I am so grateful to God to connect for connecting us. I really, really am because you really, really are a genuinely beautiful individual and real. And, you know, those qualities are rare sometimes. <laughs> And um, yes. so I'm grateful. I'm grateful. I love him for that. Thank you. It is definitely real. Definitely real. Well, um, we are having a special guest today um, who is obviously incredibly special to me. And I absolutely know that he is very, very special to you as well. We are waiting for him to enter into the studio um, which he should be doing very, very shortly. But my husband is actually going to be our guest today. I had asked him how he felt about talking about what has transpired over the past six weeks and just um, giving some insight on what he has come out of that situation has brought to him. So I would like to give the audience just kind of a little backdrop. Um, My husband came home on Friday, two days ago, which was the first time he had been home in six weeks. He had been hospitalized for three weeks and then three weeks in a rehab. Six weeks prior to him coming home on Friday, he, um, he became incoherent and non-responsive. And I had to call 911 and have them come out and they took him to the hospital within, I would say, we got to the hospital about 1230 at night by 330 that morning. So within three and a half hours, three, three and a half hours, um, he had been placed on a ventilator because they were afraid, apparently he had started regurgitating and they were afraid that he would astrobate because he absolutely just, he couldn't respond, he couldn't talk, um, couldn't answer, he couldn't respond to simple um, requests like, are you okay, or squeeze my hand, or anything like that. When I said the brother was incoherent, just completely non-responsive. So they put him on a ventilator. 
Um, by 8.30 that morning, they were taking him from the ER to ICU. Now, this was six weeks ago, and the big Delta surge had um, had really taken a hold <laughs> of, um, of things. And so the the hospital had gone the day before. <laughs> the day before this happened, the hospital had went down, went onto a full blown lockdown. So once he left the ER that morning, um, and they took him to ICU, I was no longer able to see him. So I couldn't see him for like three weeks. I, I will say. Thank God for his doctor. His doctor did sneak me in one day within those three weeks to to see him because he just felt it would do him good. But, um, yeah, so he was on a ventilator. He, you know, the, the stress of knowing that your loved one is in a fight for their life and there's nothing you can do about it but give it to the Lord is something that um, I wouldn't wish on anybody. It's... Um, it's definitely an emotional roller coaster that I've gone through um, in dealing with this, but thanks be unto God, I have peace in the midst of it. I was going through it, but I was trusting God. Um, and God was very, very strategic with me. It was like I didn't go on Facebook and post, y'all, please pray for my husband, yada, 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 this and that is going on. God was very strategic. Um, I gave it to the prayer team, my prayer team at my church um, in Vegas. I gave it to them um, to pray for because I knew that I know what they have been taught. And, and, and I need to say that this is really, really important. So I'm, I'm taking my time with this for two reasons. Number one, we're waiting on him to get back from walking the dog, to be honest. Um, but number two, because I think people need to understand that when you're in this type of a journey and this type of a battle, it is very, very important that you follow the leading and the prompting of the Holy Spirit and that you're strategic in how you handle situations. Okay, because people not knowing, meaning well, full meaning well people can begin to speak depth to a situation and where you need life spoken. You need the atmosphere to be charged with declarations of life and not um, not charged with um, the devil is busy and this happened and, oh, my God, you know, he's not looking good. And you know what I'm saying? And all, all the different things that people will tend to speak, and, and especially hearing about a ventilator and, you know, and, and we know that a lot of people never come off ventilators and different things, you know, and people will say things like I said, innocently, but they don't understand that they're charging the atmosphere with death. And I needed to charge the atmosphere with life, okay? And I knew the teachings of my prayer team between my pastors and myself <laughs> um, in, in training and teaching our intercessors at KFI to speak to the situation and decree and declare what thus saith the Lord, to decree and declare the promises of God's word, to decree and declare um, life. And so I released it to them, um, and that was it at first, literally. And, um, and the only I, I told two other people outside of that, one being obviously my daughter, and because I, I, I had to let my family know what was going on, and the other was my husband's sister. Just so that, you know, again, and, and because I know her testimony would be to stand with me and speak life as well. So I didn't call his mom because I knew she would be all worried and, you know, and oh, my God kind of thing. But I called his sister. So um, as, as we progressed, this was Friday. Saturday, he was still, like, when they put you on a ventilator, they make sure that you stay asleep. Um, because the ventilator is very uncomfortable. And, you know, I mean, I even experienced in a short period of time when he was still in the ER watching him and he would start to cough because technically he was trying to breathe on his own, but because, again, they were so scared that he was going to acerbate, they did not want him, they, they couldn't risk him throwing up and then go back into his lungs and, and choke him. That's really, that's what would have happened had he aspirated. So um, that was Friday. Saturday, he remained on the ventilator, and, um, 
in, in a just kind of like a semi-coma type stat, um, state. On Sunday, um, they decided that they thought it would be okay. Um, he seemed to be stable to take him off the ventilator. Now, and I, I was really praying for that because I was uncomfortable with him being on a ventilator. And so I was just believing God that, you know, he's, going, he's breathing on his own. He doesn't need this ventilator. They're going to take him off. And these are the things that you have to be really, really mindful and begin to speak. You have to. You, one of the things that you have to make sure that you're doing in the midst of um, this type of a situation is take command. You know, take command in the spirit realm of what's going on. So you are commanding the atmosphere. You are commanding um, what you want accomplished. Okay. This is my, this is very important. Um, I'm, I'm in the midst of working on a message dealing with becoming your great, the greatest weapon in your arsenal. You need to become that weapon. You need to become that one that God can utilize to speak his will into the atmosphere. If nobody else can, if, if you can't get to anybody else, or if God is calling you to stand on this by yourself, because there are times when that may happen, you've got to be your greatest weapon. Okay. So that's for another day, but that's a little sneak peek of where we're going soon. Um, moving forward in this, they did take him off the ventilator on Sunday, as I have been proclaiming, and um, and I was grateful for that. But he was still, he still wasn't responsive. They were talking to him. He would open his eyes, but he could not respond back to them. If they asked him to squeeze their hand, he would look at them, but he wouldn't squeeze it. By Monday, he would just kind of repeat back to them what they said to him, but that he still it was still not registering. It was a command, and he needed to do what they were asking him to do. So um, by Monday, they did. They I called, and I said, maybe he'll respond to me and respond to my voice. And so the nurse says, you know, maybe so. So she took the phone in, and I said, hey, baby. And she had me on speaker, and I said, hey, baby. And as soon as he heard my voice, she said he turned to the phone, and he tried to get out high. Okay, we could clearly hear him. He was trying to say hi, you know, but he did respond to the sound of my voice, which was a, a big thing. He could not communicate as far as having a conversation with me, but he, he recognized my voice. He knew I was talking to him. The nurse said she did kind of see like a smile on his face. Um, and so then that was a plus that was saying to me, okay, you know, God, I know we, we've got victory in this thing. I know he's fighting his way back all is well by your grace. Okay. Um, by the next day, he could follow the command. He still wasn't able to articulate in a way um, where you could just have a, um, a, a conversation, where you could just sit down and, and communicate. But he was able um, to, if you said squeeze my hand, he would squeeze it. Um, if you uh, tried to ask him a question, it, it, the problem was he was laboring in his speech. Now, understand, they were running all of these tests. They had come back with, no, he did not have a stroke. No, there are no seizures going on. Um, when he got to the hospital, his numbers were off the chart. His um, blood sugar level was at 560. His blood pressure was 200 and something over something. I don't remember what the bottom number was. Uh, he had a temperature of 102.9. He was, he was, his numbers were off the chart, and they couldn't find out what was wrong. Okay, they had tested everything they could. Um, it took them three days to finally be able to do the spinal tap because he was not co he he would not co cooperate with them. He would become very agitated when they were trying to do it. And you know, doing a spinal tap, they have to hold you down. You've got to be um, perfectly still. Not so much they have to hold you down, but you have to be perfectly still because um, they're sticking this long needle into your spinal fluid. So. Um, they finally had gotten a chance to do that, and that had came back negative. So there was no meningitis. There was no infection in the brain. Um, it was just like everything they had tested for was no, 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 no. But what they were seeing was that his kidney function 
was in jeopardy because the, his Cretan level, uh, which is supposed to be around a one, was at a nine. So the I just I thank God for the doctors that He placed around him to care for him and the nurses. Um, God is just a, he's such a faithful God because, you know, the doctor was like, we've tested everything, and he says, I believe it's his kidneys. And I'm going, his kidneys, he, <laughs> he can't speak properly. How is his kidneys affecting that? And so when the doctor said, um, well, he gave it this big term, which meant being incoherent, basically, or confused. And he said that, you know, he believed that the toxins had built up in his body and um, had went to his brain and because um, the toxins had nowhere else to go. And that's why um, he was in the state that he was in. And so, I mean, that was, in itself was amazing to me because who knew that your kidneys could do that kind of, of have that kind of reaction within your body. Um, by, I would say, Wednesday of that, the first week, um, I was able, they took the phone in, I was able to talk to him, but his speech was very labored, but he could, he could communicate. Um, he did know it was me. He could answer my questions, but in a very labored manner. By Thursday, um, it was much better. By Friday, he was having communications and um, could have a conversation with you. So um, <laughs> needless to say, God was really, really working this thing out at a, a, a tremendous rate of speed. At a tremendous rate of speed. So um, the doctor. Okay. So the doctor. Um, but it's okay. Um, so the doctor was like, he was very pleased with the the progress. He said that um, he uh, he gave it numbers. He said for. Um, what he encountered with him from Tuesday to Wednesday, he would say it was about a five, um, just as as I'm getting better. Um, from Wednesday to Thursday, he would give it an eight, and he said Friday was probably around that, that same place, too. So doctor was very pleased. Um, but again, now we've got the kidney specialist coming in and checking out his kidneys and find, to find out what's going on with that. Second week, um, it was just a matter of observing and absor observing his kidney functions because, again, it, it was supposed to be between a one, one and a half, and he was at a nine. So he finally went down to an eight, but it was still like he had low output. Um, they just weren't doing what they needed to do. By the end of the second week, the kidney doctor had made the decision to put him on dialysis because he was at that point filling up with fluid. Um, he wasn't eliminating like he should have, and they were really afraid about the toxins building back up in his body. Um, they had already given him one blood transfusion. He winded up having to have a second one um, a little later on. But it was just like, you know, Things were crazy. <laughs> Things are crazy. But in the midst of the craziness, we're still speaking life to, to him. We're speaking life over him. We're speaking life to his kidneys. We're decreeing and declaring that his kidneys would function. Um, we were thanking God for, for him not being on dialysis. We were, you know, we were confessing the word and what the word had promised as far as healing and health to his body. Okay, so end of the second week, he does wind up going on dialysis, but we don't stop our confession. We're still confessing that the kidneys will function. We're still confessing that there would be no dialysis. We're still confessing life over him. Okay, um, you got to get to that place where you're not moved by what you see or what may appear as a setback because it's just a set up for God to do an even greater work. And you cannot lose your focus when you're walking through situations like this. So 
um, at the end of the third week, finally, he had his body had become into became very weakened through this whole process. And so when he would stand up, he was off balance. He wasn't stable. Um, and so they had started physical therapy and what have you within the hospital. Well, at the end of the third week, he's released from the hospital and put into a rehab and still going to dialysis three times a week. Now, the normalcy, you would think that, oh, okay, so dialysis is normally a permanent condition. I, I took care of my mother for the last four years of her life. She was on dialysis for nine years and never got off because of kidney failure. So most of the time when you hear a person is being put on dialysis, it's like a life sentence. But we just kept believing God. No, his kidneys are going to function. This is not a life sentence. And then that, that day, um, the day before he was ta- being taken from the hospital to the rehab, we got a, a medical report that aligned itself with what we were confessing, what we were believing. And they had tried to reach out, well, they had to reach out to the VA to set up his dialysis um, outside of the hospital. And so there was a, a dialysis unit that was close to where he was going, where we live and where he was going to be at the rehab. And so they were trying to get the VA to approve him to do dialysis there. The VA refused to approve it. The VA said this, no, he has to come here for dialysis because we have looked at his charts, we have looked at all of his tests, and we don't believe it's renal failure. We believe it's an acute kidney injury, and he will come back from it. The kidneys will will heal, okay? When I heard that, I was just ecstatic because what that said, and I had to say this to him, we now have a medical um, assessment that is aligning with what we've been decreeing. So you're seeing the hand of God working. You're, that, that word that the medical profession were putting out there in the hospital that he had renal failure were being canceled, and it was just an acute kidney injury. And so it was like that was phenomenal because you want to change the dynamics of the words that are being spoken, and that's what was happening at that point. So great. He had to do the VA three times a week for dialysis. Not a problem. That's great. They set it up. They provided transportation for him. Um, Rehab, they originally said was supposed to be five days. It winded up being three weeks, but it was okay because he got into where he understood, and I'm going to let him tell his side of this, but where he understood he needed to build up his strength. He understood that it was not a permanent issue. He, he had to go through his steps and his changes to recognize, and, and I thank God that he even sent an angel to him within the rehab to talk to him so that to put his mind at ease, so he would be at peace with what he had to do. Um, but anyway, so second week of doing um, the rehab, and he's like um, now doing, done dialysis for two weeks at that point, um, a week in the hospital, actually it was almost three weeks, three weeks of dialysis, because it had been a week in the hospital and then two weeks while he was in rehab, I was like, they, we need to meet with the doctor because we need a game plan on how you're getting off of dialysis. We're not just sitting back and thinking, you know, well, you just have to just keep going. No, there needs to be a plan put in place. So this is this is the place where you, where I was telling you before, you become your greatest weapon. And you have to make sure that things are aligning according to what God is saying. So I called the hospital because all he had seen was a nurse practitioner at the VA. He had not seen the actual kidney doctor. And I'm going, no, somebody needs to get with us and establish a plan. How long is this? What are we doing? How do we test? What are the steps we need to do to make sure that you're coming off? So I called his caseworker at the hospital who um, I talked to, this really, really nice lady. We went through a lot of things. She gave me information on how I reached the nurse practitioner and all of that. I called, left a message for the nurse practitioner. The next day she calls me back. And so I'm talking to her, and I'm saying, you know, we haven't talked to a doctor. He is not there to stay on dialysis, okay? You know, you've got to 
take command. He's not there to stay on dialysis. So I need to establish a game plan for him getting off. She said, oh, okay, well, wait a minute. Let me look at his chart. So in their minds, even though the VA had said one thing, nobody was paying attention to what needed to happen. And so she went, she looked at his chart, and she said, oh, wow. She said, he's down to... 2.29 with his cretin level. I said, that is music to my ears. I said, because he was up to a nine. And then she looked a little further. She said, wow, when he was here in um, 2015, because we're in Georgia right now. So before this, he was seeing kidney people in Las Vegas. But the last time he was at the VA in Georgia, she said he was at a 2.25. So he's just 0.04 off from where he was back then. Okay. That's music to my ears again. Okay. So she was like, let me talk to my supervisor and let me call you back. Okay. So this is on a Friday. Um, she calls me back probably in 10 minutes and she says, okay, this is what we're going to do. We don't want him to come in tomorrow because his days were Tuesday, Thursday, and Saturday. We don't want him to come in tomorrow. We want him to come in Monday morning and we need to test him and see where his levels are. And if he does not need dialysis, we will send him back to the rehab. We won't dialyze him. Okay, great. He goes back Monday. They test him. Numbers are good. They send him back. We don't want to see him again until Thursday. And Thursday, we'll test again. Okay, great. Go back on Thursday. They test. Hey, Tell you what, we're not dialyzing you today. We want to see you on Tuesday, and all is good on Tuesday. We're taking the catheter out, the shut out, and you're done with dialysis. So, see, this is where I'm saying that, you know, you have to believe God in the midst of what is going on and not go into panic mode and start speaking death to situations just because of what people are saying to you. You've got to make sure that you are speaking life over your loved one or even over yourself through the whole thing. We're not believing anything negative. We're believing everything to be as God says. So six weeks, okay, within six weeks, he goes in non-responsive, incoherent, winds up on a ventilator, winds up on dialysis. When he came home, he came home walking on his own, dealing with the stairs. We got a lot of steps and stairs over here, strong enough to handle himself um, and no dialysis, okay? We went to church yesterday, and I was like, I got to testify because this is just the, 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 the working of God. When you believe him, when you trust him, it's like he walked into this place on his own and can carry on a conversation with any of you here. So that was a testimony. So with all of that being said, Tam, I want you to go ahead and introduce your brother because he's here now. Wow. I would probably <laughs> take the whole show. I would probably take up the whole show. But let me just say this. This is my brother my brother in Christ. This is a man that when I was going through some things in my life, he loved me in spite of my indifferences. This was a man that believed in me when I too much didn't believe in myself. And his silent words was everything because his actions showed the most to me. My brother, Carlton, I'm so grateful to God because I know that there's a Holy Spirit because he created you. I love you, and I'm every bit of grateful that you're here today with us still to your goofiness, your laughs, the way you stand on what you believe in, to you serving our country in such an awesome way. To you, Mary and my sister, going through the battles, allowing her to be herself and the sharing of herself with us and others. I thank you, and I want to introduce you to everyone as being that man of God, my brother Carlton. Are you there? Amen. Amen. 
I'm here. Thank you for that um, that 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 introduction. I'm when you was doing when you were saying I was looking around like okay who is she, who is she talking about? <laughs> <laughs> I do all that. Oh wow! <laughs> I told you I'll take the check in the mail later. <laughs> I see. Uh, oh, oh, oh! Without a doubt, the check's in the mail. <laughs> oh wow! Uh, um, where do I begin? Well, uh, first of all, let me start by giving honor to my Lord and Savior, Yeshua the Christ, um, and saying that it's an honor to be on the show today. Uh, blessings to my wife. Blessings to my beautiful sister. Uh, I speak blessings over you guys. Thank you for allowing me this opportunity to uh, speak to uh, what I was going through and where we're still going through. But uh, I have to say one thing that uh we have the victory the victory was won uh long ago by our lord and savior Yeshua the Christ he he is the victory when he got up and he passed that victory on to us and i'm a living witness of that because um for for years um I was told that my lifestyle would would catch up with me sooner or later, and the doctor's words were, "It's better to to uh, change now than to uh, go through what I already know that you're going to go through if you continue the way you're doing it." And, and instead of getting better, I got worse. I got to the point to where uh, even though they were telling me that I needed to slow down, I was speeding up. I was, at first, when I was diagnosed with uh, uh, with uh, possible kidney failure, I uh, was drinking a big gulp every every day. And it went from drinking a big cup to drinking uh, a two-liter Pepsi. And I would go through one of those a day. And in, in, in a half a bag of, of the family-sized potato chips. And I kept saying that that was my uh, way of coping with whatever I was going through. And... Then, when I could not justify that any longer, I would say that uh, I just need this to uh, feel better. And then it went to, I just have a taste for it. And all of this, even though my kidney doctor out there was constantly telling me, uh, from your blood test, from this, from that, you need to slow it down you need to back it up you need you need to calm down and i'm like sure even to the point to where she would say um i need you to keep a daily log of your fluid intake and i would fudge my fluid intake by saying during the day i would drink uh anywhere from two bottles uh uh, uh, 10, 10 to 12 ounce bottles of water knowing all the time it wasn't water that I was drinking but I kept telling it was water and during the day and at night I would drink 3 to 4 bottles of water which equated to uh, 2 or 3 bottles of Pepsi and that went on all the way up until when we we got here, and until me waking up in the hospital, not being able to speak, not being able to 
exactly formulate, I could formulate my words in, in my head, but as far as uh, audibly saying them, that was a problem. And it frustrated me all the more because of uh, the doctors at the time at the hospital was constantly uh, challenging me to say something, to uh, speak in my normal tone, which I could not do. And the more I tried to get out uh, to ask them what was wrong, they, the doctors that would ask the questions would ask those questions, give me the answers, and leave. And I would be there stuck with uh, a lot of anxiety, a lot of uh, what in the world is, is, is going on within me, and all the while, the enemy is constantly telling me that uh, you're not going to leave this hospital. And all, all of that, and no one told me that the hospital for almost two weeks, the hospital was on, on, on lockdown. Nobody said that. And finally, my last week there, this one doctor... I, w- I wish I knew his name. I can't tell you his name, but he, he was a beacon of light because every day he came in talking to me. And he was the one that told me that that nobody deserted me, that uh, my wife, uh, that I thought was, I, I was trying to figure out something had to be wrong because she, she wouldn't come see me that she couldn't come see me because the place was on lockdown. And he said that what he was going to do was he was going to fix it to where she could come and see me. Because he said that I feel that if she comes to see you, that'll be medicine within itself. You'll get a lot better once you see that she's okay and once you see that she still cares about you. And the next day, true to his word, she come walking through the door. And um, that and that night, constantly at night, was my biggest challenge because uh, it got to the point to where um, it was me, my Lord and Savior, and the enemy. And we would meet daily and square off. And he would come with all his negativity until the point where I had to recognize that this one doctor was put there just to keep me frustrated. And and, and instead of when at first I was like, okay, this is a situation where this guy, I don't, I don't have any trust in him. And then it went from there to me, to the, to my Lord and Savior telling me that it's not him, the enemy working through him, and you on the vocal point. Now you could either buy into what he's telling you, or you can buy. You could know what I already said that the victory is already yours. You already won. I I will stood all of this for you on the cross. Now it's up to you to take up your cross or leave it and lay down next to it and let it stay there and let your testimony die. With you, and now you got a choice: either take up your cross and come to me, or stay there and let your testimony die and just die with it. And I realized that's where I was at: either I stand or I lay there. And I decided that I had to stand. 
There was too much going on that I still had to do. I had to stand. And I say to you right now that I am still standing. And that, uh, don't get me wrong, is not that the enemy just folded up his tent and left. No. I, I have to deal with him daily. Because he's constantly telling me that uh, this ain't going to work or that's not going to work. And he, he's constantly finding ways to attack me. But the one thing that keeps coming true, and has been true for centuries, one thing everyone has got to understand, but you've got to find this out for yourself, that the same God back then, the same God now, the same God forevermore. Amen. Um, so my question is, how has your life transformed through this experience? Um, I mean, I, I assume that you're not still drinking sodas. <laughs> but how how has your life transformed since then? I'm being facetious, y'all. <laughs> now, um, I, I, I laugh at that because um, just before leaving the rehab, there was this, uh, this counselor that, that worked on the West Wing. I was on the East Wing. And I must say that all the nurses, all the counselors, all the rehab people that I dealt with on the East Wing was about positive thinking. They were coming up with things to make my body strong, my mind, and mental status, keep me focused. Whereas when I ran across this guy, he was like, and, and he said that, I heard that you are addicted to, you are addicted to uh, uh, sodas. And Pepsi is one of the main reasons why you're here. And, and he said, what you to, you're trying to quit drinking Pepsi's cold turkey. Is I find I found that the best way to do this is to wean yourself off of it. And how you do that is by drinking. Uh, you can you can drink Seven Up or you could drink Sprite. And to solidify his thing, he said that. Uh, he poured. Uh, or he he went down the hall and came back with um, a, a cup full of ice and ginger ale. Put it in front of me. He just set it down, and he said, "This is how you wean yourself off of this stuff by uh, drinking this." Of course, though, he did not tell me that the soda that he put in me was a diet ginger ale. He just put it down in front of me. I picked it up and turned it up. I took a big gulp of it and realized I couldn't swallow it because it was diet ginger ale. And I freaked out. I jumped up. I ran to the sink. I spit it out. I'm like, my goodness, man, what in the world was that? And you know, when he walked in there, he was like, so, uh, what do you think? I was like, man, I don't know what that stuff was that you gave me, but that, uh, oh. That stuff was horrible. And then he tells me that uh, it's, it's an acquired taste. Uh, diet, everybody don't like diet ginger ale. So that turned me off right away. I told him, I said, like, with my medication and everything that I was taking, I never could drink uh, diet anything. And he says, oh, okay. He says, well, then start off drinking ginger ale. Go to uh, either Seven Up or Sprite, and when I went back to to my to my wing, my room, I was like, I'm going to continue what I was doing. I'm gonna drink uh, water, a lot of ice, and be done. And so far, that's gotten me through to where we are today. Also, I had to take back. I do drink tea now. But uh, as long as I got my monitor here, 
It's not like I can go crazy and drink tea all day. This is very true. This is very true. Um, spiritually, what do you think you've come out of um, with from this whole whole situation? Um, I've personally, I've, I've I understand more of of how the enemy works, and I. I believe, I, I I know now that where my strength lies. And for a long time, I always I, I've always heard that uh, starting from my uh, from my from my from my grandmother all the way up until I was a grown man, just, that my grandmother used to constantly say. That uh, in time of need, you call on Jesus Christ, and He will be there for you. And I, for a long time, always I've heard it, I thought about it, I never truly uh, believed it until now, because there were days. In, in that hospital, that in that room, that I had no one else to call on but Jesus Christ. And my last day there, we were in, involved in a conversation. And I said, um, I felt like Jesus Christ himself. And I said, um, why? Why have you forsaken me? And he took me back to this uh, 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 this this portrait of footsteps, and and he said that you see these footsteps, how they start off with two, and and at the very end how they're coming down to just one set of footsteps. And I said, yes, but why have you forsaken me? And he said, I didn't forsake you. The one footstep that you see, that's when I carried you. Now, my life is devoted to praising my Lord and Savior, Yeshua the Christ. Sorry for taking up so much much time. Thank you. It's all good. It's all good. Um, I have a question. Okay. I want to ask my brother because, man, let me tell you something. It's so true that your testimony can be a strength for so many others. And I've been going through some things myself, looking at myself a couple of times more and realizing it's time to take better care of yourself, Tanya. Mm-hmm. You know, you're getting older. and You can't do the same things that you did before. Mm-hmm. And I'm like you, big brother. I'm looking at how I'm eating now. And, you know, I'm not a big soda drinker. I am that ginger ale girl. I'm like you. They can go to the devil with diet. Um, and um, I, I, I do like to, you know what I'm saying, you guys have my wine and my cocktail from time to time. So I realize now, just by hearing you, I believe that God is, do you believe that this was all a wake-up call for the Lord to let you know that he, not, I heard you say that he was there all along because I believe that, but he was warning you before all this came and was like, okay, you know better, you know, because sometimes we know better, but it's so hard to do better, especially, you know, bad habits die hard. So would yeah. you say, Big Brother, that, you know, to the people out there that I love what you're saying, that they can endure it no matter what you go through. The devil is going to always try to be there. But one thing about it is God is your strength, and he's always there. So what can you say to the people to say, wake up, you know, pay attention, when God is speaking to you, you know, hear him. So would you say that this all was a result 
of God dealing with you and waking you up so you can enjoy even better things in your life now? I hope I made that kind of clear. I I feel within myself that um, that this was not necessarily a warning, but something that I had to go through. Because our our Lord and Savior, he uh, comes at us, every person, differently. And he realized that as far as I was concerned, he had to show me. He had to show me what was at stake. And because had he not shown me what was this, I never would have got it. But that day I woke up in the hospital and could not speak. And days and days and days on end, not really knowing where I was at and gradually coming back to myself and realizing what had happened after talking to people. And the majority of the people that I talked to, they couldn't tell me what happened. So, and after I got a chance to really come back to myself and talk to my wife, she was like, so what was the last thing you remember? And I was like, you know, I remember waking up in the hospital. That's what I remember. And I really remember the last night in the hospital where it was laid out for me that I I had to go through this, but I didn't go through this by myself. It was Amen. it was a, it was a wake up call that I had to experience. And Amen. The the one thing that I know beyond a shadow of a doubt that everyone has and I call it my um my uh uh my uh um um uh my um uh, when um when, when when Saul was persecuting the uh, yeah, Damascus Road, my, my Damascus my Damascus experience. That that was my Damascus wow. experience. Okay, that's powerful. Thank you so much for that. You answered it all for me, and I know you answered it all for a lot of others out there listening. No matter what you're going through, you still have to fight. And when you fight and you're fighting with Christ and someone that loves you and that's there for you and by you, you appreciate them all the more. Then the fight is not as hard as you think it will be. Amen. You know, um, from so many different perspectives, we have to... There's so much, like, just in listening to his perspective on what he was walking through. Everybody has different experiences that experience the same phenomenon, you know? Um, So, like, I'm out here, and all I can think of is is the spiritual battle, is fighting, you know, um, in the spirit. He's in the hospital, and he's going through the reality of, what's going on with me, you know, and where is everybody? And um, from different perspectives and different angles, we experience different things, even though it was the same circumstances that we were walking through. And I think it's important that, you know, we recognize that, that my takeaway from the experience is different than his takeaway from the experience because we experience the experience on different levels and in different ways. And I think that's really important because a lot of times people walk through situations with their loved ones and they expect their loved ones to come out of it with the same mindset that they have or, you know, from the same perspective that they they have. And I think it's really important to respect what each person walks through in their journey within that situation, you know, 
Um, we are one. We are husband and wife. We are one. But we experienced it totally differently because of, of the proximity of the, the experience and of what we were walking through. We handled it differently, you know, um, but in the long run, God still combines the two to get the glory. Yeah. You know, um, he was fighting in the physical because it was his body <laughs> that was under attack. I'm fighting in the spiritual because, you know, I'm knowing that it is going to take the hand of God to fix this, to make this thing right. And so, um, I, I, like I said, I think it's really important when you're walking through situations with your loved ones not to expect the outcome to have the same connotation for both of you. We are both praising God, and we're both thankful to God for what he's done, but from two different perspectives. And that's part of us being unique in who we are and that personal relationship with God. What is your personal walk with God? How are you personally connecting with the Lord? And I think that's really important that people understand that though it may be the same situation, that everybody walks in it and through it from a different perspective. You know? Would you agree, Tam? I was listening to you, sis. I just wanted to make sure because sometimes the phone, it interfere. Yes, I do. Um, I went through it myself and when my husband wasn't well. But I thank God, like my brother said, it was a Damascus experience for him and for me, but on mm-hmm. different spectrums. Mm-hmm. It didn't mean that um, I love God anymore and he loved God and he left. It's how God chooses to deal with us. And that's what we got to understand out there. We're right. all going through something. Right. And God loves us all. And our experiences are all different. And some may have to be more horrific than others. I'm a, I'm a hard-headed child. So a lot of times my experiences have to be a little bit more profound. Mm-hmm. And, and then I'm you- like, oh, okay, Lord, okay, okay. You know, like we do when we test our mother or our parents. Whereas uh-huh. some, like my, my sister... You, Elder, you you know, don't take you much when God is talking to you. You're like, okay, I get it. Uh, you know, I test the water a little bit more. But uh, through it all, I want to thank God for his mercy and mm-hmm. his kindness mm-hmm. and his grace mm-hmm. and his love for us. Because mm-hmm. I know he knew that how we will feel, and he allowed you to be here another moment with us. And that makes me realize more. We have to appreciate the people in our lives. We have to value them. We have to spend more time laughing and more time, you know, cohorting with each other. Just hearing mm-hmm. you be in that hospital and, and feeling alone, I can only imagine. And I've told a lot of people, I think a lot of people with the COVID and all the stuff that's going on in the hospital, they're passing away because there's nobody there. Mm-hmm. And they don't feel that love, that connection, mm-hmm. because they shut you off. They isolate you. And when you feel isolated, God found a way to get that love through to you. And that's mm-hmm. why I tell everybody, if you haven't tried God, if you haven't tried our Heavenly Father, Yahshua, you should. Because even when you're alone in your darkest moments, where they shut stuff down, when you, there's nobody there, he will send some kind of way to let you know that he's there and that there's love there. And because yeah. I've experienced that so many times. So I just want you guys, if you haven't welcomed Christ into your heart, I'm asking that you welcome it in and just, just confessing of your sins and, and admitting that you can't do anything without him mm. and saying that he is Yeshua, Jesus Christ, our Lord, in Jesus' name. I hope that you allow him into your hearts today. I hope that you find a way to connect to reason and to allow him to be a part of your world today so you can get through the same things that we're getting through. In Jesus' name, amen. 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 It is so. Yes. Well, baby, we thank you 
for sharing with us today. We appreciate you. I believe Yay. that it's a blessing for others that are walking through their Damascus Road experience. And and the beauty is that we're on the flip side. Yeah. You know, we've, we've walked through it. And, and my word would be, you know, for anyone that's in the middle of, of an experience such as what we just encountered, just hold on. You know, like Carlton said, just hold on to God's hands. He is carrying you through. When you feel you don't have the strength to walk, he has not forsaken you. He is carrying you. He is right there. Amen. Don't ever, ever, ever allow the enemy to trick you or your own mind to trick you that you're in this thing by yourself because you are not. God said he would never leave you nor forsake you, and he is a God of his Amen. word. Amen. Oh, amen and amen. Well, sis, that brings amen. us to the close. We thank God for another opportunity to join with everybody in on the um, internet. Uh, we will not be with you next um, Sunday because I will be out on the ocean <laughs> and getting ready to enjoy my birthday. Um, but we thank and praise God for all of you. And so we will be back with you, Lord willing, same God time, same God channel. And same God channel. Amen. We love you guys. I love Love you, you. big brother. So good to hear you. you. I love you, sis. Love you too. And tell my my brother, Jerry, we love love you as well. We're looking forward to seeing you. He can hear you. Oh, great. We're looking forward to seeing you next week. Love you guys. Y'all take care. No, it's not.